Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Where are we going? We are going someplace different this week. What? We are not going to New York City. We are not going to Los Angeles, California. I don't understand. We're going to someplace in between? We are going to a flyover state. <gasps> yeah, Joliet, Illinois. Yes, people, it's pronounced Illinois. The S is silent. It's not, come on, bring the Illinois. It's not the Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, what you going to do? No, I don't know. So um, I am ready for the particulars. Mm. Yeah. I thought mm. you were going to have like a sentence. Oh, I do have a sentence. Yeah. You want me to do it? Of course. Okay, my sentence. In your, in your best teacher voice. Um, and the problem is that when I do my sentence, then I go into my setting the table <laughs> and I forget the particulars. So, okay. This is inspired by, uh, inspired by a real life grifter brother team, Fred and Charlie Gondorf. Um, the sting boasts one of the heist genres, most elaborate double crosses. The particulars? The particulars, please. The Sting. It was released on Christmas Day, 1973. It was directed by George Roy Hill. He also did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Slaughterhouse Five, The World According to Garp, The World of Henry Orient, Slapshot, Funny Farm, The Little Drummer Girl, and The Great Waldo Pepper. It's produced by Tony Bill. He was an act as an actor. He appeared in Shampoo, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and Less Than Zero. As a director, he did My Bodyguard, Untamed Heart, and Flyboys. And Michael Phillips, he also produced Taxi Driver, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and The Last Mimsy. And his wife at the time, Julia Phillips. So she was right there with Taxi Driver and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. She also did The Beat. And then she did a 1991 memoir called You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again. It was written by David S. Ward. He also wrote Canary Road, The Sting 2, which has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't even know such a thing existed. Apparently, that's what everyone wants you to know. Yeah. Um, Saving Grace, he wrote Major League, King Ralph. He also wrote with Nora Ephron, Sleepless in Seattle, and The Program, Major League Two, Down Periscope, and Mask of Zorro. And it was based on, like you said, the real-life con men, and in particular, David Moore's book, The Big Con, The Story of the Confidence Man. Um, it, the music is by Marvin Hamlish. Yo, this dude, not only does this dude have an EGOT, he has, excuse me, a PGOT, or a PGO, as I'm going to call it. That means, the so the EGOT's when you win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Correct. So What's the P? 
The piga is when you win a Pulitzer Prize. What? Only two people. Him and I think it's Richard Rogers are the only people to ever have a pigo. Wow. <laughs> Not to be confused with a Peugeot. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> he... Um, he was he was a fabulous I don't know if he's gone or still with us but he was a fabulous composer the man could not sing and he would try to sing his songs and it was painful well yeah I mean not all of us can sing I realized no. in this like trying to whistle the entertainer that <laughs> I, I'm a whistler I'm about as good a whistler as I am a singer. I can physically do both, but yeah, <laughs> what I hear and what is produced is not the same thing. Yeah. He also did the scores for Take the Money and Run, The Way We Were, Ordinary People, Sophie's Choice, Behind the Candelabra. This is the, the music in here is an adaptation of Scott Joplin's Ragtime music um yes. specifically the entertainer that goes yeah that came out pretty good didn't it uh, yeah. okay it sounded good to me when i hear it back i'll, I'll cringe okay. it was better than my whistling okay <laughs> which man well uh, your whistling will have to make an appearance See, now you got me all, like, smiling and stuff, so my embouchure is all messed up. Well, I don't want to mess up your embouchure. Because <laughs> that's, that's what whistling is. Oh, man. So Ooh. I don't got an embouchure, eh? I'm guessing not. I can't whistle. <laughs> and then I lose That it. was pretty good, though. That's, so, it's, it's the going up high, just like in real singing for me. <laughs> there. It's going up high, going down low, and yes. keeping on on rhythm and key. That is the problem for me. But okay, it's a lot of problems. <laughs> he is a musical director of the 1994 Barbara Streisand concert tour. He was also the musical director for many of Linda Ronstadt's tours. He was a prodigy. He could mimic the piano. He could mimic what he heard on the radio on the piano when he was five years old Ooh, sort of like elton or my dad yeah true which was what i thought you were gonna say <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i don't know i don't think he could mimic at five could he because if he could i'm gonna be real disappointed <laughs> <laughs> i know that's what i'm saying we're talking marvin hamlish elton and what dad, so <clears throat> Oh, man. Moving on. Oh. Um, okay. I had to find where I am. I wrote <laughs> really small notes. Ooh, because your regular notes are minute to me. Yeah, and these are like, I don't know. I guess I thought I had no paper. Wait, do you do you put it all on one piece of paper? I tried to. Today I I didn't, and I have a quarter of another paper. Wow. I always try to go for one one piece of paper. Okay. But when I come out the next time, I'll buy you a couple legal pads, okay? No, I don't do legal pads. I just get the piece of <laughs> it's extremely wasteful, I know, but I just get the the paper out and I just write it down on one piece of paper. 
Okay. And I tossed the paper. Okay. Anyways, for the behind the scenes of God with the bushes, everybody's like, we don't care about your paper. We, yeah, we can't pull the curtain back too far. They, we care about who's the director of photography on this film, Aaron. Glad yes, I asked. do. It's Robert Surtees, which this guy, this movie was shot beautifully. He also did King Solomon's Minds. The Bad and the Beautiful, 1959's Ben-Hur. Um, all of those that I just named, he got an Oscar for. Then he also did The Graduate, The Last Picture Show, 1976's A Star is Born, The Hindenburg, and Mutiny on the Bounty. And here's a nerd alert. He was known for his versatility because he did all different kinds of movies and he was a stickler for precise color control and proper exposure of the negative. So he would ah. go to great lengths for the lighting and the camera angle so that he would provide the lab with the best possible negative. In King Solomon's Mines, they didn't have they couldn't lug generators through the African jungle. So all he did was he lit the whole thing using reflectors. Oh, wow. He was one of the first people to use the telephoto lens in The Graduate. So, this guy. I'm, yeah, he's bona fide. I'm going to say uh, it wouldn't be hard to light Paul and Bobby. But there there was more to the film than just Paul and Bobby. So It's, and in, eyes, it's in my reheatables. Their eyes pop, but also... If you hit pause on every frame of this, anytime you hit pause, it looks like a photograph. Oh, okay. The background lighting and stuff, how all of the color is, it's all like this muted brown and maroons and stuff. And just the, the like, look at the lighting, of course, Paul and stuff, but look at the background lighting and stuff. Like, those shadows do don't just happen. It's just, it's beautiful beautifully all exposed like you could just uh, when i read that i was like oh my gosh that's exactly right this guy it was edited by william reynolds listen to what william reynolds has edited because we've done this before he did the sound of music the godfather the day the earth stood still bus stop south pacific the great waldo pepper and i don't know what that one is the last one <laughs> i had a mock <laughs> Oh, Newsies. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Newsies. Um, okay, so now here we are. We're starring. Our starring people. <sighs> starring Paul Newman. I mean, it's Paul Newman Appreciation Month. He plays Henry Gordoff or Shaw. He's 48 years old in this movie. Like his real age. Wow. I mean, wow. I mean, <laughs> wow. He was, I didn't know that he was in World War II. Like, he was really in it, and he was going to train to be a pilot, but then they found out about his colorblindness. So then he was... He was colorblind. You told me that before. You told me that before. He couldn't see his blue eyes? <laughs> I think that it, I could be mistaken, but I think colorblindness has to do with, like, Reds and greens don't show up as grays. 
Yeah, that's what I think. So reds and yellows and greens, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it it just depends on what kind you have and. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't be colorblind and be a pilot. Just watch Little Miss Sunshine. You'll find out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Her brother wanted to be a pilot. That's all he wanted. Oh. And then, yeah. So his dream was. Oh, I wonder why. The, it, will you mistake the ground for the sea or something? Well, I think in the in the instruments, there must be something in the oh. instruments. Well, I could see like a war pilot. You can't see the colors and you you're like, is that one of my team? Well, that's true. That is would that be a on my team person? Which thing could you be colorblind and play professional sports? I guess so. I guess you just have to pay a little bit more attention. So I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Right? Our, our our resident pilot uh, um um person is is downstairs, so I can't ask him. Oh well, that, that's fine. Um, so he the, the movie he did before the sting was the Macintosh Man. Then Paul Newman did The Sting, and then his next movie was The Towering Inferno. Yeah. So leading up to this movie, he had had five consecutive not-so-good at-the-box-office movies. He was in a bit of a slump, our man Paul. I don't don't know why. I don't don't know know why you people didn't go to his movies. Who cares what the movie's about? Who's in it? Other than Paul, you get to look at Now, in this movie, his part was supposed to be a whole lot smaller. Yeah. Thank goodness they 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 hyped it up a bit. Well, we'll get to that later. We yes, have, we will. We have Robert Redford, who plays yes. Johnny Hooker. In this movie, he was 37 in real life. And Johnny Hooker was supposed to be 19. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not complaining. I am not either. You know his real name is Charles Robert Redford Jr.? I did not. His first name is really Charles. He's a Chuck. He or his jazz. his movie before this was he was in he did the Canyon Candidate, then he did The Hot Rock, then he did The Sting, then he did The Way We Were and The Great Gatsby. This yeah. guy was on a roll. And then yeah. after that like Maybe another movie, and then all the president's men. He's yeah. just like whoosh, smoking aces. Yeah. yeah, man. Robert Shaw played Doyle Lonigan. Back to back to back to Robert Redford. You oh. know your um your preschool ballet teacher <laughs> was his aunt. That's what like you say. Yeah, that's what I say. Okay, go ahead to Robert I mean, Shaw. Did you have any sort of facts or receipts to back this claim up? No, I, I there was no fact checking because at that time there was no internet. <laughs> so she just told you? Al Gore had not yet invented the internet. No, she didn't even tell me. It was fourth, fifth hand. Just rumors? <laughs> you should have seen the way I would dress up every time I went to pick you up from ballet. Because <laughs> I make up hair done. You with the <laughs> black child, sure. I want in whatever this is. My collar was popped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. 
Can okay, I... Robert Shaw. He Robert deserves Shaw. his due. He was, he was Quint from Jaws. That's where yes. I knew him from. He was also yes. in From Russia with Love and The Taking of Pelham 123. The, the first one. Yeah. Robert mm-hmm. Earl Jones played Luther Coleman. Nerd alert. Yes, he is the father of James Earl Jones. <gasps> I didn't know that. He was a prize fighter, and he worked with Langston Hughes during the Harlem Renaissance. Oh, His prize fighting name was battling Bill Stovall, and he was the sparring partner of Joe Lewis. He met Langston Hughes in the Works Program Administration, which was the largest agency um, during the New Deal. Wow. Like, who knew Franklin was like, we, I got to come up with a plan. I'm going to have this new deal. I'm going to have this thing. And then these two guys go and they meet each other. This where, Hey, where did you meet Langston Hughes? Oh, I, I met him at the works program administration, man, th- the new deal. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> um, he, gave me, he gave me an Aussie Davis vibe. Yeah. Of I'm an important black man. These hands have sparred with Joe Lewis. Yeah. I know Langston Hughes. <laughs> no big deal. Oh, yeah. I was also in a movie, Lying Lips, by Oscar Micheaux. And then his other movie, <gasps> Notorious Eleanor Lee. Wow. My son is going to be Darth Vader. I was in Trading Places and Witness. Oh, yeah. And I was blacklisted. <laughs> Ooh. It's crazy. Yeah, pay attention to that, Deborah Messing. So, and then we have Charles Durney. Yes. He played Lieutenant Snyder. He, what hasn't this guy been in? He was in Dog Day Afternoon, The Hindenburg, The Muppet Movie, North Dallas 40, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Tootsie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, plus Nerd Alert. He's buried in Arlington Cemetery because he was a super, super meddled combat world war ii veteran oh well done thank you for your service yeah wow okay then like he he saw things he was well let's give him his props yeah he he has a whole list of bronze awards all sorts of awards like they don't give this to people who sat on the sidelines there's like ooh, with bones first yeesh and we have Ray Walston, played J.J. Singleton. He is known, best known for My Favorite Martian. My Favorite Martian. Fast, and the antennas would come out of his head. Fast Times at Richmond High. But to me, he's most famous as the judge on Picket Fences. That's yeah. where I know him from. And Eileen Brennan, she played Billy. She was in Last Picture Show. And then the whole time I'm, I'm looking at this movie, I'm like, why do I know this woman? Mm-hmm. What the hell? I know this face. Mm-hmm. And then when I was doing the particulars, Private Benjamin. Yeah. yeah. She was also in Clue, Taxi, and Will and Grace. And she was in some kind of an accident. She was in a couple of accidents. So then one time she was walking, leaving a restaurant with Goldie Hawn, and she got hit by a car. And like got really jacked up. And Her then, face got really messed up. And then she came back from that, and then she fell off a stage and like broke her leg. And then she came back from that. Then she got like diagnosed with cancer. Then she beat that, and then 
she eventually died from another yeah. cancer or something. So yeah, she. I don't want to say clumsy, but. Well, maybe I'm I'm thinking maybe that car accident when she got hit by the car that could have messed with her equilibrium. Oh, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. That's yes, you know, it's probably true. But she's bona fide. She is bona fide. That I believe that that is all of my particulars. Well done. Well done. Well, it is Juliet, Illinois in 1938. And we know this because of the, because of the. Uh, you didn't give me the answer beforehand. The, the things that. Oh, um, the, the title card, cards. The title cards. I, you expected me to get title cards based off because of the. <laughs> because and, of the was the clue you gave me. I thought the telepathy was going on. Obviously, we haven't meshed yet. It will happen before the end of this podcast. Mm-hmm. But the director, Mr. Hill, um, wanted to start the movie off at the very beginning, making you feel like it's the 30s. Mm-hmm. And so he made sure to have those title cards look very vintage. Well, he also, nerd alert, put the old universal logo on the front and those titles even Mm -hmm. and the title cards i have the guy who did the title cards they were done by yaroslav gerber and they were done to mimic the saturday evening post that are norman rockwell was famous for doing exactly and there was also ragtime playing as the title cards went but nerd alert if i may interesting fact of course as i push up my glasses in the 30s scott joplin was old news yes he wasn't popular anymore that was that was you know what that's old it was a has-been they have moved on to something else and but when George Roy Hill was making this film, he was watching a lot of films from the 30s and stuff, and there was a popular 30s film called Public Enemies, and I believe, yes, this was Public Enemies, and it used Scott Joplin's music in it. So for moviegoers, if we go and we do Public Enemies and we watch it, we're going to think that that music was popular at the time because it was in the movie about the 30s, even though at the time it wasn't. But that's right. how mus- that's how movies and media distort and can distort our collective memories. That's mm-hmm. why we do the POC count and stuff. Right. Because a lot of what we say, well, that's how it was at the time, it's like it's true, but how much of is the that's how it was at the time are we getting based on the movies and the TV shows and the and such of the true. time, which is just media um, depictions. Right. And originally this movie was much darker. You know, two con men who are probably going to con each other and he wanted it lighter. And a little more comedic. And so he felt like the ragtime music would lift 
the audiences up. And I completely agree because the entertainer has endured because like all great pop songs, that's the thing about pop. It's popular because it's great. That's why you're still going to be humming the entertainer and you don't even you didn't even know that that was the entertainer, but you knew Mm -hmm. that tune. And after this movie came out, Ragtime came back into fashion because this movie went. Because people, people went, were like, oh, yeah, that's fun. That's a goddamn bop right there. Man. Yeah. And then you and then you but then you tie it to the fun that you had watching this fun movie yes. with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. And who doesn't want to just carry a little piece of that with them? Yeah. You know, Just and it's all golden. Everything's a golden hue and stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it is 1938, the Depression. And we just see feet walking. What are those shoes called? The kind of shoes he had on? They weren't peep toe pumps. They were not peep toe pumps. It was a man. <laughs> and it was the two, two tone shoes. Wing tip or something yeah only they were white and brown Mm -hmm. and we just see those feet walking upstairs we see there's a nice suit a hat i'm telling you and every if you pause it at every point you'll be like my god that is a beautiful photographer (laughs) photograph or beautiful (laughs) photography is in front of my face (laughs) or photographer either one is acceptable it's true Okay, well, this guy goes in into a bookie place, and it is busy. And evidently, they were they their money's down a little bit because the mayor promised to get tough on the rackets. And but they're saying who cleared money? Somebody cleared ten grand here. Now this is during the depression, because in the beginning it shows this guy's feet walking past all these homeless people. And um, but they're making money in the rackets. And this guy's name was Matola, and he is told to take this wad of money up to Chicago. Well, then we have two men running in the street, and um, somebody yells, "Stop! Stop! That dude's got my wallet!" And Robert Redford just happens to be strolling, and he throws his suitcase to stop the guy. Um, there are no cops around don't call the cops um because i gotta run some i gotta run some slots i gotta um uh, the uh the the boss man gave me till four o'clock to get this done if i don't do it by then i'm gonna be dead so um but he got shot in the leg so he can't do it so he's asking robert redford or matola to make the drop for him yeah and uh, so Robert Redford goes, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Matola goes, I'm, I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, give me all your money. So then Robert Redford goes, you can't walk around carrying it. Let me show you. You put it in a handkerchief and you slide it down in the front of your pants. Cause if you get frisked, no man is going to check the front of your pants. And so um, he does that. He runs away the opposite direction they uh laugh because the guy who got shot was luther uh, luther james earl jones's daddy and it was a scam with robert redford he he got all the money and the other guy just got a bunch of tissues or something 
Yeah, he. I knew it when he put it down his pants. I was like, oh, man, he just got conned. Mm-hmm. And so Robert Redford goes shopping for some new clothes and flowers and champagne. Oh, nerd alert. I forgot the costume design by this one, Edith Head. Edith Head. Man. And she won an Oscar for it. Yeah. It's crazy. Go on Wikipedia and just type in and see all of the things that Edith Head is responsible for. Like Breakfast in Tiffany's, Rear Window, like all the famous actresses that she has dressed. You're just just like, what? Oh my gosh. And she said she got an Oscar and she got to dress the two most gorgeous men. She probably said in Hollywood, but I'm going to say the world. I'm go- I'm going there. Their suits were great, except for that the the short fat tie. Not a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah. But man, the tuxedos at the end. Oh my wow. god! Wow. <sighs> okay, so Robert Redford goes into a burlesque theater, and his girl is on stage. Well, that's where we find out Robert Redford's name is Hooker, mm-hmm. and. She goes, I got to do my next set so I can get my $5. And he says, I'll spend $50 on you. And so they go to a bar and there's a a casino type thing happening there. He puts all of his, all of his take from the con, $3,000, 1938 depression. (laughs) Reminded me of your brother and his $100 bill. (laughs) And he puts it all on red and what's the saying Aaron? well in our household it's always been on black always been on black well 22 black comes up and she goes you just shot well, you just- you're skipping over like the whole the whole like what the scene is about because he goes up he puts it on there and the guy goes oh we can't i can't take that amount because these are small operations, so he puts 3000 down. If it hits, does the place have the money to cover that? So he, like, turns to the boss guy, and the boss is like, how much is it? And he's like, yeah, let, let him do it. And then they roll it, and you see a close-up of the guy's hand. So, you know, the fix is in, so they make sure that he loses his money. It lands on black, and then... Um, Redford is he gets mad Johnny Hooker gets mad but then the guy says uh, it's a good like I lucked out it's a good thing they don't like those you know people to win big which basically was code what he was saying was like I had to do it or if if I let you win they were gonna take it out on me right I'd be dead yeah and so Hooker's like like he's mad, but he understands that the game was rigged and stuff, which I don't right. even under. It's so I know that he had to do it because he had to lose all his money. Basically, it's it's just one of those things where, man, he would just. But then I guess it shows that he's he's a reckless character. Exactly. You have to be reckless to be in in the con business. Right, but why would you go to a place that you know is then conned? You know, where the fix is in. I don't know. I just think if you're going to go, you should. But I guess 
it's you know where else that's what this guy is dealing with that's the world that he's in so i have dude i don't know what dude it was uh goes to a warehouse matola uh lost eleven thousand dollars see what big mick wants to do um so that's what happened there. They had to tell him that Matola lost that all that money that was he was supposed to. Yeah, because Matola never made the drop because they got conned. So then they had to go find Matola. They find Matola in a bar because he knew this was his last night on Earth. So when the guys find him, they say, "Hey, where's the money?" They say, "Oh, this I did." They even name Hooker. I guess they named him. Anyway, they find out that it was Hooker that conned him, that swindled the money. And, you know, in that world, people know about Hooker and stuff. So now the mob basically knows that Hooker took them for $11,000. Exactly. Okay, now there's a beautiful casino. And there's big... Now, the casino had to be like a house because... Gambling wasn't legal. So gambling wasn't legal and drinking wasn't legal. And yeah, no wonder it was the Great Depression. Yeah, everybody was depressed. Am I right? (laughs) And so Big Mick was Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, who was British, but he lived in Ireland. And so he did a sort of an Irish accent. I wondered because I was like, is this an... Again, I just felt like way to go, Aaron, for being so ignorant of accents that you completely buy it and yet don't buy it at the same time and don't know which one is which. It it wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't Jesus, Mary and Fook and Joseph, but it was (laughs) it was pretty good. Okay, so um, and Big Mick says, we got to discourage this kind of thing. You know, little punks thinking they can come and take our money. We got to discourage that. So then we have Hooker knocking on the door to Luther's place. And he gives Luther his cut of the money. And we meet Luther's family and we learn that Luther's wife was Luther's wife was probably the real MVP. She was probably the best con of all of them, but she had to to throw it up because she had to take care of the family. Yeah, she got pregnant and she had kids. If she was still running the show, I don't think we have a movie The Sting. That's true. Should have been listening to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were on their way to church, and Hooker's going, you're going to church? She said, bingo, honey, bingo. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Luther tell Luther says to him, how much did you lose? And, and Hooker goes all of it. He says, you're a con man and you blew it like a pimp. Yep. And Luther goes, you know what? This is why I'm getting out of the big con. I'm getting out. Well, no, no, my wait. Thing. He's, he's getting out, but Luther never got on the big con. He was never able to get on the big con. And we all know why, because he was black. Right. And so he says he's stepping out while he's ahead. But he has this friend in Chicago, Henry Dondorf. And um, Henry is going to mentor Hooker. 
see, originally Hooker was like 19. So he was like new at the con game. So he was gonna, he needed Henry Dondorf to mentor him. Now, in the in this film, uh, Robert Redford is a little older than 19, but he's still a small time con. He wants to get in on the big con. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, Snyder is a cop and Snyder gets Hooker and he beats him up. Because Snyder is a dirty cop. So Lonigan's men put out the feelers because they like, hey, Hooker just stole money from me. You know, right. kill him. So because Snyder's in with them, he goes, he finds Hooker first and says, look, I, you made a horrible mistake because the guy that you thought was just, you know, some low level, turns out he's working for this, they call him Big Mick Lonergan, and like, he's a big Irishman, so he's sending people to kill you. Here's, mm -hmm. he says, like, give me money, and I'll... I'll make this go away for you. I want $2,000 not to tell. Yeah. Well, Hooker blew all his money. So, but he gives him money. It turns mm -hmm. out he gives him counterfeit money. And Hooker, Hooker runs into this drugstore and he rips an old lady out of the phone booth <laughs> yeah. because he's calling Luther to say, Luther, they're on to us. Um, you know, he wants to warn Luther, but nobody answers. Then he gets to Luther's apartment. It's all torn up and Luther is dead. Luther is on the pavement outside. Because Snyder found out that it was counterfeit money. And so Lanigan, Big Mick Lanigan, see Big Mick is like a, um, a racial slur. Yeah, but that's how they... Yeah, but he, that's his, I thought it was his name. Was that his name for himself or they gave it to him? Probably somebody gave it to him. I don't know. Oh. So Luther's dead. So now Robert Redford, he's pissed because they killed his Luther. So he wants, he wants to get him. At which so, point I go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that the sting was really about white guilt. <laughs> Like, the whole reason for this movie. Man. Bravo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the um, the the title card says the setup. And we're in Chicago. We see Eileen Brennan sweeping steps. She takes Hooker to Henry, who is passed out on the floor. Okay. Oh. I, I wrote, okay. At this point, I have to say, I have to tell the truth. I had had a bit of a happy hour going on. <laughs> Did you have so, one eye closed while you were watching this? I'm not sure how much the rest of this is going to make sense. Something is soaking wet, baby. Oh, baby blues. Oh, okay. The baby oh, blues my gosh. These eyes. are your drunk notes? Yeah. So <laughs> so Robert Redford had to put him in the shower to, to um, sober him up, which I could this point it, but still his baby blues were so beautiful they were but i would like oh go oh get to that in the reheatables okay. okay so sorry about luther con to senator put the feds on me allow me to take it from here <laughs> down on my luck 
Lonigan after you too? <laughs> Doyle got one of Grifter's golf course. <laughs> okay, Aaron. <laughs> All right. So uh, they they've heard about Luther, that Luther Luther's premature demise, his murder, and um what's his name? Shaw Paul Newman, he is keeping a low profile because the federal the FBI is after him because he's oh, a world renowned he senator. Yeah, because he, and he's a you know he's a big time con man. He was in right. you know he was he would do the big cons, so he's laying low. But he hears about his buddy Luther, and there's this young kid coming in, and he's like, you know what, this this guy. He was built for the con game, and he can only sit out so much. And his buddy Luther is dead because of this guy that they call the Big Irishman, but using the terms of the 30s. So he's like, all right, I'll help you do it. So they come up with, they're trying to come up, and they get, they kind of get the band together. And then there's a whole bunch of people because the pe- a lot of the con men really respected Luther. So there's this whole cool like underground of all the, the smaller con men coming in because they all want to work on this. Because, again, I'm like, man, this movie is about white guilt. Yeah. <laughs> and so they want to help old Luther out. And, and it's also poignant because Luther was never allowed to be in the big con. You know, yeah, he would he would rather stick out. Yeah. So he's like, can't do that. You know, that's why Hamilton was so fantastic. Anyway, I digress. So they, they come together, they and they figure out what kind of con they're going to do. And then they sh- and then it's cool because the audience, we the audience, we kind of see them putting together the con and then. The movie keeps going and it unfurls. And really at this point, you have to you have to see the sting. It is such an enjoyable film. And yeah, if to I see say how it all is put together and if I say more, I'm gonna try not to to spoil the movie because but there's a lot of ins and outs and stuff. So this is the kind of at the point where you should probably pause it and watch the movie because I'm probably gonna say some stuff that will spoil the viewing of it. Because it's great. It is such a fun film. I got wrapped up in it. It is. Completely immersed. Especially if you love heist movies. Like, if you like the Ocean's Eleven, all those Ocean's movies, this was that that before that. Yes. Yes. So, do yourself a favor. Well, not before the first one. No, but this is like the, the Brad Pitt and the yeah. the yeah. George Clooney right. ones, right? And even that, I really I like the the first Ocean's Eleven. Oh, I did too. Because of the same kind of thing, it's the con. I like yeah. movies about con men. I'm con- grifters, all of that kind of stuff. I like it. These are the best kind of movies, though, because and there's nerd alert, David S. Ward. That's why he was working on it, though, because it needed it's con men, so they're they're not good guys, you know. They're try they right. swindle people. Most of the real con people that we encounter are people that are swindling us, you know, mm-hmm. that can't yeah. afford to be swindled. 
So right. they make these movies where there has to be a bad, they have to have good guys and bad guys. So the good guys are really the bad guys, but they're conning a guy who's really bad. And it's like, yeah. so this movie is about the, the con of a con. Yeah. So it's like, okay, then I can root for the beautiful guys because they are conning mm-hmm. a bad person as well. Exactly. This man is a bad man. He's a criminal. He's a murderer. He's trying to kill them. Like, you know, we still have a, an assassin that's after Robert Redford. And the great thing about this, the reason why I'm telling you to watch it is because you're watching these guys who are conning someone and you're being shown how the behind the scenes of how the con is working. At the same time, the filmmakers, Paul Newman and everyone is conning us. Because mm-hmm. things happen to of us, and that's what makes it such a fun film to watch. Correct. Okay. Well, we're going to go on to our POC count, and we have some this time. I counted 15 plus. Excellent. And then, I mean, because we got Luther, who is... And the whole reason that this movie is going is because, of course, he was the black man who gets killed at the beginning right. of the film. But, you know, at least it had that going for it. <laughs> you know, it's been kind of slim pickings here over here at the POC count for the last couple of months. That's true. <laughs> oh, Black History Month is coming. What are you complaining about? <laughs> Okay, nerd alerts. You've said some. All right, so I have the costumes were by Edith Head, Breakfast with Ball. Oh, Doyle's Limp? Yes. Lonigan Shaw? It was real. He went, he slipped on a wet handball court, and he tore up all these ligaments in his leg a week before filming. So he was wearing a leg brace under his wide-legged 1930s pants. Yes. And Robert Redford had broken his thumb. What? So um, when he is in the diner eating, you see him holding the fork with with his, with his all of his fingers and his thumb just extended. Oh, it's like, yeah. I thought yeah, it was is, like he was like that's how poor he was. Yeah, why is he eating like that? Yeah, but his thumb had been broken. Oh. Now I have a question because mm-hmm. in my nerd alerts it was talking about the inner title cards and um something about iris shots. Oh yeah, the iris shots. So remember the scene where he was running away um he was in the diner. And there was a guy standing outside, and then mm-hmm. he tells the girl that the waitress to put him in the bathroom, and then he's going to run out. And it was mm-hmm. that whole chase scene, and he gets into the alley, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know where to go. And then the camera follows the guy coming to him and stuff, and then it goes to the alley. And mm-hmm. the guy turns around, and he's like, Cecilio, and he, he gets shot, but we don't see who shoots him. And then the camera goes down to the manhole cover, and it's a jar. Yeah. And then you see how the the sides all come in so that it's just a circle. Oh, That's okay. That's the iris. 
That's an so iris So it's like shot. the iris of an eyeball um, mm-hmm. closing in. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's just like, yeah, like it comes in and then it's like almost like a tele, oh, what is it? Like a periscope kind of thing. See, see, where else are you going to get this kind of information, people? Mm-hmm. I, this movie is so great. So George Roy Hill, like I mentioned, he watched the movies from the 1930s and he noticed that there were no extras on the streets. Because I noticed that in this movie, whenever they're on the streets and they're doing like a chase scene, there was nobody walking around. Robert Redford got to just run wherever he wanted to run. And that was on purpose because the director noticed that in the 1930s, they didn't have extras. Yeah. Because they were just like, man, we are just now getting sound. We are by- flying by the seat of our pants. I know <laughs> that there's, there's, there's one woman in the future who doesn't think that we've been making movies before sound so there's, there's just a lot that's going not what on. i said <laughs> there's just I a lot not a lot of a script before sound. that's <laughs> all i said okay any more nerd alerts yeah the art director is henry bumstead he also did to kill a mockingbird mm-hmm. vertigo and unforgiven just to name a few wow um i already mentioned the color scheme of muted browns and maroons mm-hmm and I mentioned the title cards, and we already said how Joplin's music wasn't popular. You mentioned the Irish shot, but there's also the wipes that went because that was used a lot in movies from the 30s. The side to side wipes. wipes and up and down when the scene would change, how the, the next scene would wipe in. Oh, like when you make a slideshow. How to how to transition from one slide to the next? Uh huh. So you can do a dissolve where it just dissolves See? slowly, or you can just do a wipe where it just wipes itself in. The right. next scene just wipes in. Uh, See how I made that connection? Mm-hmm. Does anybody still do a slideshow? Oh my god. I mean, no, okay. No. Uh, reheatables. Okay. I do have a couple negatives. I got a couple of negatives. At the very beginning, they they used the N word like three or four times. That was my first reheatable. It was there were a lot of non black people saying the N word, yeah. and I and it's and I know that it's that was what they used of the time, but still the fact that that's what they like seventy three, yeah. But it, not just well, that was the thing. Like, there's always the two things, because the movie was in 1973, but it's made to mimic the 1930s. I know. So you're just like, oh, man, they really said the N-word in the 30s, but then were they also just like, man, they they were really comfortable really saying the N-word in the 73s. Yeah. It's just layer upon layer. And I just want to say Paul and Bobby didn't say it. Yeah, it wasn't. It was like when they when it was used, it was used as to it was used to say more of the character of the people saying it. You instantly were like, "Those are bad guys." Yeah, they said. And, and it was like the police. Yeah. Okay. Now my other reheatable. Yeah, like bad guys. <laughs> there, there. Um, the woman, the aforementioned woman in the diner, who opens the window so that it can look like Redford got out of the diner. Mm-hmm. She um, 
is not a classic beauty and she is not someone who was known at the time. Her name was Demetra Arles, Arles. Mm-hmm. And the executives didn't want her in it because she becomes a, a small love interest of Robert Redford. And they didn't think she was attractive enough to be his love interest. So who said that she could still be I think, in it? I think um, the director wanted to keep her. I thought she did it really well. And because he comes to her door and he, and she's like, well, what do you think is going to happen here? And he said, I think uh, I'm a, I'm a person here who doesn't know anybody. And I think you're a person here who doesn't know anybody. So I just thought maybe we could spend some time together. It's okay. It's complicated because on one hand, she isn't, she isn't what you would typically especially in movies of 1973 think like oh wow it was just an interesting choice I thought Mm -hmm. and then and truth be told I did think really I think everybody thinks really but then she does have like a charm to her and then it was like okay but then when we find out Yes, the later. Wh- the whole thing, it did make me then go, huh, well, that's putting an awful lot of faith in, <laughs> in a lot of things that are outside of your control. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know? I mean, you're, you're pretty much banking on this woman's personality of, like, she's yeah. going to close the deal. And that's the... That's the scene that I want recreated, like on a Saturday Night Live or something, is the scene <laughs> with Lonigan. Because, well, we already told you to, to stop it until you watched it. So this is your own fault. You did this to yourself. Yeah. If you are going to watch it, stop our podcast now and come back later. Because otherwise, some spoilers are going to happen. Fair warning. Anyway, so I want to see the scene where Lonigan goes, my best assassin. This is what she looks like. Everybody believes it. I believe that that woman, like when it when it was said that she was the assassin, I was like, that makes sense. But I'm intrigued on the conversation where they're like, <laughs> we're going to plant her in the, in the luncheonette as a waitress. And she is going to seduce Robert Redford. <laughs> I'm like, okay, time out. Does... Does Redford have a type? Like, is this is this known that he his type is that like, we have lucked out and his type is specifically a heavily Greek looking woman? She was she was heavily Greek looking, Demetra. Um, but she wasn't a classic beauty. But she. But there was something about her. But yeah. like that's I'm not saying like oh that she the was thing- ugly or anything. I'm just saying that. We've all seen beauty ads, actors, actresses who we we look at them and they're not ugly, but they're not they're they're they have a look to them. And that look to them though, you're kind of like, man, it just it just works in just the right it's it's how it's how it's just how like that magic happens where there's just slight things that happen in features and stuff we've all seen people who look like they could be a robert redford dead ringer except they have a weird nose or something 
and you're just like, man, you almost look just like Robert Redford, except your nose is just a or little off. They when they speak, their voice is just all wrong. Yeah, they are or like, they just don't have any charisma. You know, like their eyes can't say things. But this woman has like charisma, so there is something to her. But it's just a very <laughs> like like this is how and, we're going. And she played it so aloof. Yeah, it and wasn't like she was thrown. Also, also was- exactly. And then you're like, then you follow, like you roll back over of like, my God, that's why she was the best assassin. Exactly. She knew exactly what she had to work with and what to do. My exactly. God. Exactly. Now I kind of feel bad. I wish she hadn't been shot in the head. But if she had, she would have killed Redford. But man, where's her story? Where's Eva Longoria spinning that off? It's. I listened to the podcast with uh, Robin Thede yesterday, mm-hmm. and she was talking about um, her new show. And one of the skits is the black woman spy. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> a funny skit. Yeah, because because you're invisible. I mean, you're there, but nobody pays any attention to you. That's sort of how she was. She was there, and she wasn't like googling him what you know coming on to him at all so yeah it was okay but yeah he like felt but yeah he did fall for her and it's like but how likely though he, i don't i won't say he fell for her <coughs> i'm gonna say that he fell for her for a night yeah but he was he was eyeballing her the first yeah, time he was she came her in see you know, read the reading the the atmosphere. He was like, "I'm Redford. You always put out lines. Always gotta be. Always gotta be just putting out lines." So yeah. Okay. Well, those were my two negatives. Oh, okay. Negatives. My negatives. Well, we already said the N word. Yeah. The fact that Luther never gets to be in on the big con. Yeah. I was just like, man, he would have been great too. Um. Gotten killed right away. I in. This Pauline Kale pointed this out to me that this movie has a pretty strong lack of women in it, even though we just spent the entire time talking about the. Although the the two prominent women are are very strong characters, there are two only two of them, but they yes. were very strong characters. Mm-hmm. They were, but they were also like kind of regulate. Although, yeah, what we were saying with the. Yeah, I mean, Billy was the, the the engine that really kept everything going. But yeah. we just never really got to see that. We were right. just like, look at her. She's always working. She was keeping everything up. and Yep. Bringing, looking out for everybody. And then making sure everyone had beer and everything. I was like. She was in bed with Paul. Yeah, well, that is mm-hmm. true. So mm-hmm. she was probably like, hey, nobody start up any marches for me, okay? <laughs> I'm fine. It, yeah, really. Look who I was in bed with. Okay, and then okay, I have a bad reheatable. When at the beginning of the movie, after Robert Redford loses all his money and his date doesn't want anything to do with him, he throws away his bottle of champagne. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. My man, just pop it and start drinking. Unbelievable. And there was another bad reheatable in that whole 
exchange with her, there was some kind of a bad reheatable, but I didn't write it down, and now it's gone. So well, we bad women because we didn't pick catch on that because we were too busy looking at Robert Redford and what's what's going on with that bottle of champagne? Yeah, <laughs> it was probably really cheap anyway. I don't care. Okay, Robert Redford gives you champagne. You're gonna be like, oh. Oh, what is that, Andre? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Who needs champagne? Okay, moving on. Um, it took twenty-four minutes for us to get to Paul Newman. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was looking at the clock after the first ten minutes. I was like, "Where's my man?" <laughs> it's been twenty-four minutes. What the hell? Well, okay. Um. There's a highly problematic Aunt Jemima brand, like, placement thing. I'm sure that it was of the times. It's behind Paul Newman when they're trying to figure out what the con's going to be. I'm like, oh, wow. That's what Aunt Jemima used to look like. I probably That's super racist. Did she have on her kerchief? No, it was the Aunt Jemima that was like blackface, basically. Yeah. And how like yeah, that's what I grew up with. Yeah. Why couldn't you just have her like her a picture, a realistic picture? Why have to be all like cartoony and racist? Yeah. You could you just be like, yeah, this is who made it. That's why it's delicious. That's what they're selling. I don't understand why it had to be super racist. I mean, whatever. The country. Um, And then it was slightly problematic at the end when you think, like, oh, man, Robert Redford's going to totally turn in Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. And they're having the whole conversation because you think that at any moment Redford's going to tell Newman that the feds are on to him. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, why are we even doing this and stuff? And... Paul Newman says that it's not even about Luther. And I'm like, why do we need to have, why, what, what's going on here? <laughs> this whole movie was about white guilt. And now you're saying that you don't even really care about like getting revenge for your fallen brother who could never have been in the big con. And he's like, ah, it wasn't about Luther, but it was about Luther. It was about Luther. You just couldn't admit it because it hurt too much. So that was my last re- Okay, my positive reheatables. <clears throat> First was the the ragtime music. Mm. Lovely. Second was there was a woman assassin. Oh yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. And because a, you know, a woman then was like a black woman now, totally invisible. Nobody expected that. And then of course, just Paul Newman Robert Redford. I mean, I mean to tell you, you are positive reheatables. I already said it. Every frame is a picture. Oh, yeah. Second reheatable. Great con movie. I love con movies. I love heist movies. I love con. My favorite of the con movies were the movie cons me. I'm a mark. Take my money. Con me. I even like the female oceans. I did too. I love. I just. Lo- I love a con movie. I thought it was an interesting Bullock performance, but <laughs> hey, hey. Um. 
Lonigan, the intro scene of Lonigan, how we just see the back of his head. Yeah. And then, yeah. that was the scene where I was like, who, who did this movie? This? Ah. I mean, honestly, it was the first scene with the steps and everything. Yeah. I settled in nicely and nice and comfy under my weighted blanket and was like, oh, I'm in the hands of professionals. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Go ahead. I thought that was great. The scene where so Lonigan cheats at cards and Paul Newman has to out cheat Lonigan. And that whole scene where you mm -hmm. think that and because the, the audience gets conned again because they're with Lonigan in his point of view. And then when Paul Newman has the four jacks, that whole scene has no music and it's full of so much tension. It's great. Great, great scene. And then another great reheatable that spans Paul Newman movies again with the sink full of ice. I got to try it. <laughs> I have that in my tasty nuggets because he did that in Harper, too. And he did. Didn't he do it in the verdict? I feel like oh, he's always he doing it. Yeah, I bet he did. It seems really painful to me. Ah, But is that the key? Maybe it is. Get the pain know. out of the way now and then. Because uh, ice is always great for inflammation. I could have tried it late Friday night. <laughs> yeah, based on your notes. No kidding. Um, hmm. Yeah, and then it's like, it's read for Paul Newman. It's con movies. The audience gets conned as well. It's such a great ride. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, MVP, I have some honorable mentions. Oh, okay. My first honorable mention is Ragtime. Yes. Because it just, it just is so, it's so entwined with the movie and the, and the feel of the movie and the culture of the movie. My other honorable mention is horse racing because we do enjoy a horse race. Oh, yes, yes. And my third honorable mention is the fedora. Oh, interesting. My daddy wore a fedora back in the day. Interesting. I, and all of the men had them on and they looked, I mean, they looked good. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not just a fedora. It's an Edith Head fedora. So that is it, it true. It is past Edith Head specifications. And it's a fedora on the head of Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. And I know that Robert Redford was nominated for Best Actor. This, this is the only film he was ever nominated for Best Actor. Really? Yeah. He wasn't nominated for All the President's Men? He wasn't for best actor. Hmm. But my MVP is Paul. I mean, I was a little shocked that we even had this category, seeing as how it is Paul Newman Appreciation Month. And, and yeah, he had a funky mustache, which, but you know what? You can shave that off. But he still spent <gasps> a lot of the movie in a... Uh, oh, a wife beater. I supposed to say I that did. i don't care it's a tank top undershirt it was a tank top undershirt and i was okay looking at paul and listening to paul and watching paul and i just have to say it's like perfection 
his voice, you know, how some people have a voice that just grates on your nerves or it's no, a little it's silky smooth. It just is perfect for him. It's it, it it's not it's not overly masculine. It's not like You know why Paul Newman is one of the best actors? It's because I truly believe because Paul Newman was comfortable being in Paul Newman's skin. Because yeah. Paul Newman knew he was Paul Newman. And he was like, hey, I'm Paul Newman. Yeah, I probably got some problems and stuff. But it's real good to be Paul Newman. And I'm comfortable being Paul Newman. And this is a tasty nugget, but I'm going to use it now because Paul Newman is my MVP. Um, Robert Shaw said whenever they were out filming, because they filmed some in Chicago, the mass amount of women who would show up and they were showing up for Paul Newman. They weren't showing up for Robert Redford. Yeah. He was okay. That's okay. I mean, honestly were- though, we, after Paul Newman appreciation month, we should probably have Robert Redford appreciation. And that's, month. and we will, because I do totally appreciate him and he's done some great films, but my God, there's, I mean, you know, last week I said, you know, Peter Fonda had a, had a good nose. There's nothing that isn't good to look at or the way he moves or the way he sounds or the, uh, okay. Even I'll Paul Newman, here. Paul Newman's got kind of weird wavy hair, I think. Oh, I like to see. But I still love it. I, yeah. I'm, I it don't, goes with him. I don't entirely know what's going on with it, but I love it. It just works. It all it works. works. So yeah. all that said, my MVP is Richard Surtees or Robert Surtees. <laughs> the uh, the photographer. The, yeah, the director of photography. Yeah. But Good. I mean, it's I'm really glad. Paul Newman. But I was kind of just like, oh my God, this is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So I'm glad. we're going to be doing the bad and the beautiful because that's a black and white film. And I was like, oh, Robert Surtees mm. in a black and white film. Yes, please. Let me see. Let me see what your lighting is really all about. Okay. Okay. So your MVP was the director of photography. Yes. So recasting. I have a female cast and I have a person of color cast oh okay you why why are you acting like you don't always go first oh okay so my my lonigan is queen latifah interesting my henry is kate blanchett And my hooker is Sandra Bullock. <laughs> you, what? Wait, your hooker is Sandra Bullock. See that? I've heard a lot of people with the oceans. What was it? Oceans eight? Was that whatever? Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that they should have reversed those roles. That Kate Blanchett should have been the role that Sandra Bullock played, and Sandra Bullock should have played Kate Blanchett's role. And mm. you just basically said that. And it's because yeah. it's true. Because then when you think yeah. about it, you are like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, the one in control. 
Yeah. yeah. And then the 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 fast and east loosen loosen something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Queen Latifah as as Lanigan. Big Mick. <laughs> it's pretty good. Big yeah, Big Mick. <clears throat> okay. So are you ready for my other cast or I you want to go? You can go. Okay, my other cast, my Lonigan is Danny Glover. Okay. Because we've seen he can be he can be a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, my Henry is Don Cheadle. Yes, I like that. Mm-hmm. And my hooker is Donald Glover. Yes. I'm green lighting it. I I I like that a lot. I do. Donald Glover and Don Cheadle. Oh my gosh. I gotta say though, I kinda like my movie better. Okay, I'm sure you do. You should. Well, my first cast, I was like, well, I started recasting it and I was like, that's when I realized, oh, they did already recast it and it was the Ocean's Eleven remakes. Cause oh Henry is George Clooney and Hooker is Brad Pitt. Yeah. And then yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's who that is. Yeah. Right there. Um, so then I came up with my women's cast. So I have Verlonigan, Emma Thompson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For Schneider, the cop. Yeah. I have Danny McBride. Yeah, uh, he's yeah. For Henry the Shaw character, Charlize. Yes, I really feel like Charlize and, and Kate are kind of interchangeable. Charlize and who? Kate Blanchett. Oh, yes. I mean, they give a diff- totally different vibe. But it's kind of a, a more different vibe. Yeah. For yeah. my hooker, yeah, I, I know it's like the second week in a row I'm dipping in this well, but I when I thought about it, I was like, this is who this should be hooker. They, they would nail this with Charlize. Yeah, green light this movie immediately. Zendaya. Yeah. It would be great. Yeah, because she would be the age of hooker that hooker should be. exactly she's young she goes yeah. to charlene says tell yeah. me the big con we, yeah we can't have somebody like i don't know figure out who viola davis is the luther character gets taken out yeah emma thompson's gang's behind it mm-hmm. and then you have danny mcbride as the crooked cop after zendaya mm-hmm. come on yeah well done and then you you go back in the Edith Head archives and you dress them in it. Get oh, out of here, Edith Head. I mean, come on. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Well done. Well, I had to save my tasty nuggets till today. Okay. You want me to go? Oh, you have some. I have some. Mm-hmm. Well, one is just an observation of my own, and this was written on Friday night. Ooh. Paul Newman's eye bags never looked so good. I didn't he even a, notice. He, he had a little bit of an eye bag thing going on, and it didn't matter at all. Um, and, uh, well, okay, let's just, 
Paul Newman and Robert Redford each got $500,000 for this movie, um, which was the highest salary that they paid people at the time. And they said in today's market, that would be like 2.7 mil each to make the movie. Okay, other people who were considered for Hooker, Jack Nicholson turned Hooker down. I'm glad because I I don't see that. Robert Wagner and Warren Beatty all turned Hooker down. I can see Warren Beatty. I can too. I I don't see Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson gives way more. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know that he has a trusting enough face to be a No, he looks like he's going to double cross you. Uh, This was the Oscars where a streaker went across the stage. This was the time of the streakers. They were all over our campus. It's college. The roulette wheel where he loses his $3,000 at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. uh, was the same one as they used in Casablanca or the the spot Black tw- tw- 22 was the same one that was used in Casablanca. Oh, interesting. Uh, Julia Phillips was one of the producers. She was the first female nominated and winning an Oscar for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did write when um, um, uh, my favorite Martian was looking for guys to come and help them. Okay. What's his name? Roy Walston. Yeah. He said they have to be the quill. Do you know what that means? No. Uh, Well, I wrote it down because of your quill. They have to be the genuine article. In gangster, oh. in gangster terms, that's like the genuine article. They have to be the real quill. Oh, I'll tell Dustin and Myra. Yeah, yeah, I thought of you. Um, I, I talked about Paul Newman's hangover cure, putting his head in, in ice. Mm-hmm. And he's drinking Gordon's gin. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Have you had that? It's no Hendrix. Ooh, that is some rock gut gin. No, no hints of cucumber? No. No, uh, curiously quizzical, no. (laughs) Um, And they did say, always drink gin with a mark because the mark can't smell it. Your puppy smells gin on me all the time. (laughs) I don't know know if you should say all the time. (laughs) Well, not all the time, but frequently. (laughs) Ooh, you smell of gin. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was vodka that doesn't smell. I did too. Do you know what the sting means in the con world? No. Okay, I, you want to know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sting is the moment a con separates his mark from his money. Oh. Um. Now they said in this, you know how um. Robert Shaw lost his $500,000. I mean, he left it in, in the, the bookie place because yes. he had to get out. Yes. Well, they said that that $500,000 in today's market is worth $9.2 million. Wow. But they said the $500,000 that Paul and Bobby made making the movie was $2.7 mil. So that's a, that's a big discrepancy. Wait. Just, 
No, because the money that Paul and George and then Paul and George, <laughs> the money that Paul and Charles made was that was in 1973 money. The money from the con was 1936, 38 money. Okay. Okay. Um, my last one was Paul Newman was advised not to do this because he would, was advised not to do comedy. Which I don't understand. Me either. Did you see Cool Hand Luke? Yeah, Cool Hand Luke. He had a comic touch. And he was full of comedy. And Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Full of comedy. So I, I don't know. understand. I don't either. And he wanted to do it to prove that he could do comedy. He'd yeah. already proven he could do comedy. Yeah, come on. Like, excuse me. Excuse me. I am Paul Newman. Yeah. Don't tell him he couldn't do anything. Don't tell me. I, you know what? I'm... That's it. I'm going to drive race cars. And make some spaghetti sauce and some... Anything you can think of, I'll make my own. Salad dressing and all of that money went to charity. Yeah, I'm going to teach kids how to have fun. That's right. Are you ready for my nuggets? I'm ready for your nuggets. George S. Ward was working in an educational film production company when he sold the screenplay. Robert Cohen, who is known for directing the first Fast and the Fast and the Furious movies, he worked for Mike Medavoy, who was an agent at the time, would but he would go on to be the studio head of United Artists. He read the script from what's called a slush pile, which is when writers send in their scripts to agents. And so he was working for the agent. He picked the script out. And he started reading it, and so he gave, because the people that work for the agents, they read the scripts, then they write coverage, which is basically, um, you know, how likely is this to get made? Like, is this oh. worth um, getting made <clears throat> and stuff? Like, are there any notes? Is there something there? Is it is it ready to go? Is there something there? It just needs to be rewritten. Like, you know, do we have a client who would be good for this? Is it that kind of stuff? So... Rob Cohen, he read it. He wrote that in his coverage, the great American screenplay will make an award-winning slash major cast slash major director film. And he gave that to Mike Metavoy. Metavoy was like, if, this, if I don't sell this, you're fired. They sold it that night to Universal, mm -hmm. and they went on to make it. And Rob Cohen... He still has the coverage letter that he made for the movie framed in his office. Oh, I guess so. Because he was like, I was told you. I told you all. David Moore, who I mentioned, wrote the nonfiction book about the two brothers. He sued mm -hmm. for plagiarism. Mm -hmm. And Universal Studios, they settled. I think they gave him like $300,000, $500,000, something like that. Um. But David S. Ward, the screenwriter, he was a little annoyed by that because he used a lot of different nonfiction books as reference when he was writing it. And he didn't write that he played. He didn't go straight it. from that yeah. book. Um, let me see. The Henry character that we mentioned, Paul Newman's character, he was originally a minor character and he was a fat slob, has been. But then when Newman expressed interest in the role... And people realized, oh, my gosh, we can reunite Butch and Sundance. Yeah. Then they beefed up his character. So, you know, they added that whole card scene and 
all of that. Because that was the thing when I was watching, I was kind of like, well, Paul Newman's not really in this movie as much as I would have thought Paul Newman would be in it. Wanted him to be in it, yeah. Yeah, and wanted him to be in it. And so then I was like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was shot at Universal's Backlot in Wheeling, West Virginia, the Santa Monica Pier Carousel, Pasadena, and Chicago. Tony Bill, who was one of the producers, he was a car buff, and they used his... The car that Lonigan gets driven around in is Tony Bill's own car. It's a one-of-a-kind 1935 Pierce Arrow. It's a badass car. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's number 39 on the best 101 screenplays by the, the list by the Writers Guild of America. Ebert gave it four out of four stars. He was just like, this movie is so much fun. Yeah. Um... It is. On Amazon's, like, Amazon Prime's trivia and other stuff, it said that Robert Redford had didn't see this movie until 2004. I read that. But then I wonder, Then I saw the, all the movies he did after it, and I wonder if he just got busy. He's like, I gotta go do The Way We Were. I gotta go do The yeah, Great Gatsby. Yeah, he So that maybe that was the reason. Um, it was nominated for... Robert Redford was nominated for Best Actor. It was nominated for Best Sound Recording. And it was nominated for Best Cinematography. I was like, what movie lost to this? Like, who did he lose to for this? Yeah, and then I did. remembered that he had also, he had won three already. So I was like, all right, you can calm down. But he lost to Sven Ningfist, Swedish guy, for Cries and Whispers. And I was like, Cries and Whispers, Swedish film. What the hell is that? And I clicked on it. And I was like, oh, it's an Igmar Bergman film. So uh, it's probably important. And shame uh, on me for not knowing such things. Uh, but I'm putting that on the list then. Because I'm going to be like, all right, then let me see. Yeah. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Editing, and Best Music, Scoring, Original Song, and or Adaptation. And also that Marvin Hamlish dude, he also won another Oscar that year because he did the music for The Way We Were. So that yes. whole, like, what was that? I don't know. It was like a big song or something from then. And the Way We Were. Yeah, he wrote that. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. with his Peugeot. <laughs> with his Peugeot. Yeah, you want to you want a good time? Just two hours and eight minutes of a good two hours and nine if, minutes of a good time. I believe if you have stars, you can watch it. It's on stars right now. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. So, but you can rent it. It's a it's worth the rent. Oh my it gosh, it's so much fun! My goodness, for an afternoon of Paul and Bobby, man, Chaz, I disappeared into this film. I, I just got all poured into it. I was like, no, he's gonna... What the hell? Is he yeah. really gonna double-cross Newman? Yeah. Uh, Newman knows it. And then I'm like, damn it, I got conned. Yep. That whole con was a con. It was a good time. Good time had by all. Well, next week... Hmm. Do I get to guess? 
Sure. Okay. Go. Oh, because it's the... Can I have a time frame? A Newman frame? Uh, well, it was made in 1966. 1966. Hood? No. 1966. It's set in Boston, I believe. Boston? 1966? Paul Newman? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think we've even talked about it hmm. well well it's good i definitely know it's not the, my movie i'm picking next it's not it, it, it does have a prominent director oh hmm. oh wait is it the alfred hitchcock movie he did yep 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 i forget which one torn curtain the Torn Curtain with Julie Andrews. Oh, interesting. I think I have seen this, but wow. 1966 Torn Curtain. This is fantastic. This might end up being our best Newman Appreciation Month ever because I already know my next Newman movie that I'm making, that I'm picking, and I've never seen it, and I'm very excited to see it. Excellent. Because I wanted to see what, what, Hitchcock did with Newman. Well, I'm so. guessing that it, it's we're gonna kind of be like, huh? Because if it had been like, ah, then we kind of would have heard more about it. Unless it's a forgotten gem, and we're stuck scratching our head, going, "Why aren't people talking about this?" Uh, and it could be that it was one, but I mean, you've got the genius of Hitchcock and you've got Paul Newman and Julie Andrews is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, she's not singing in it. Yeah. So, so it's either a, why is nobody talking about this movie or B man, we had every, didn't we almost have it all? Yeah. And this is, this, is this the period where he had several that didn't do that well? This was probably one that didn't do that well. Well, I get. I think Newman's career was kind of. I think it, I don't want to say peaks and valleys, more like hills. Roll. I think it was more of rolling hills because this is sixty six, sixty nine. Yeah, Butch and Sundance. Yeah. So. Yeah. It just wasn't uh, yeah. a home run, I guess. I mean, it's it's well, hard. Like the guy, you know, he has Cool Hand Luke home run. You know, you can't, not everything can be a home run. And it's possible that, that his, his base, his, what's that called? Fan base? Yeah, his fan base. Which is um, just everyone? <laughs> well, not necessarily, maybe they didn't want to see him in a Hitchcock film. Maybe they wanted to see him in a, I suspect that it has more to do with the story and the script. Because you have Alfred Hitchcock, Julie Andrews. I mean, this is 66. When was this? Is when was like, um, when, when was the sound, sound of music? Of music. Just, it was 60 something. Yeah. I'll look. Vamp. 65. Um, yeah. So people might have been sick of her then. You know, she kind of, I feel like she had the, um, um, not Anne Bancroft, but um, the girl who who every 
everybody started to be sick of. Like like Jennifer Anne, Lawrence? Not Jennifer Lawrence, Anne Hathaway. Oh. You know how everybody got sick of her? Oh my. What? This is so the movie she did the sound of music and the next thing the next movie that came out was the torn was torn curtain. Yeah. And it's so opposite because it's about Russia. Oh. In the Cold War. And I'm reading well, a book about I mean, you, that right now. Like she did Mary Poppins in '65 and and '64, and then she did the Americanization of Emily. Never heard of that. I Salzburg and, oh. and in that movie, she played a totally different character than the um, Disney um, Mary Poppins, the upbeat singing. Yeah. Then she goes and does the Sound of Music. Then she right. does Torn Curtain. Right. So there could have been a bit of a backlash there. I don't know. We'll see. All right. I'm anxious for it. I it's Paul Newman. It's Alfred Hitchcock. This is true. All right, then. Okay. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this busting. And we hope you will watch it and join us next week for The Torn. There you have it. There you have it. Goodbye. Goodbye.